Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, tar and cement and uh, city limits on the air. It's the second Wednesday of the month. It's our energy day, and we're going to talk sort of related issues in most of the program today with um, one of our regular uh, regulars in um, Helen Vandenberg, and we're going to talk about a number of issues, including a review into the Environment Protection Authority and uh, what people ought to be doing about it, and we'll reflect on the what's happening or not happening as usual at the to- toxic waste dump and maybe catch up with Essendon Airport. I think the answer to that will be pretty short, uh, nothing. Um, but uh, we'll find out. And uh, I'm Kevin Healy, and uh, Lynn Drummond's over there pressing buttons, doing wonderful things already. Andy's in the background, and uh, welcome back to Mark Allen, who's been away for a few weeks. Mark, um, you've been trotting around New South Wales, have you not? Uh-huh. Just check my microphone's on. Yeah, yep, microphone is oh, on. That's yes, good. good. Yes, good. Um, yes, I have been trotting around yeah. New South Wales and a bit of Victoria, um, doing a bit of work and a bit of play. It's been good. But yeah, it's good to be back. Well, the first one I want to raise is that um, the Herald Sun yesterday had 15 pages devoted to a footballer who died um, at 94 years of age, right. uh, an icon, etc. Bit of an irony there, because on Sunday, um, while he was still alive, just, uh, they had a lift out in the Sunday Herald Sun, which I don't buy, but my neighbour gives it to me. Um, it... Um, they had a lift out celebrating 125, I think it is, years of the Collingwood Football Club, and they listed the 25 best ever Collingwood players. And the player whom they gave 15 pages to didn't rate a mention. Oh, is that right? By yesterday, he'd become the greatest player ever, I think, oh, uh, yes. reading the paper. But anyway, that that aside, um, I noticed we're going to give him a state funeral. Now, given his main aim in life was to make money all the time. Mm. In fact, my father my father said he would still have the yeah, that old phrase, he'd still have the first quid he ever earned. Um, but thank God the family hasn't got to pay for the funeral. Well, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm hoping that when I die, I'll get a state funeral. Yeah, and I, my, my one story about Lou Richards, I will tell on air now. Um, well, yes, I will. Um, my father, who made that comment, was a bookmaker, as many people might know. And in the day, those days, there was a pretty easy life. It wasn't that easy, but, I mean, you, you only worked two or three days a week. There were races on Saturday and a couple of days through the week, and that was it. But he also worked at the, at the bikes, which were big in that time as well, the Sid Patterson-Russell Mockridge era. And I loved going to the bikes. And the Austral Wheel Race was the big race of the year. And, uh, and bookies also, it's been, I noticed recently they're trying to ban it, but... A lot of bookies bet on what's called on the nod. So, you know, the punter and you sort of make bets all night and at the end of the night you settle. So whoever owes who settles. And on this particular Austral wheel race night while I was there myself, um, Lou Richards spent the night betting on the nod with my dad and by the end of the night owed him a heap of money. Is that right? But never, ever paid up. Never, ever paid up. Oh, it's not looking good now, is it? No, so that's my Lou Richards story, Okay. Well, there we go. You've got a story for everyone. Kevin has got a story for everyone. Whenever anyone dies, Kevin has got a story about them. Well, there you are. Well, that's that's the Lou Richards story. So I guess technically he owes the estate of my father, which I would have inherited in some form or other, money. Well, you can contest the will. Yeah, I can. Hmm. Um, Anyway, that's that. Um, But I I raise that mainly because 15 pages were devoted to a footballer who died, an ex-footballer. Now, you might have given it one page or something because he was pretty well known. Yes. But... Um, back on page nine, right at the very bottom, I'll show you this page. I thought people can look at it. Um, there's a big thing about a development we might talk about in housing oh, yes. next week. Let's have a look. Deadly drug alert. But oh, yes. I'm, this is down the bottom. Uh, two paragraphs right at the bottom. KFC roasted on safety. Now, I think this story is more important than Lou Richards, to be honest with you. 
And the headline doesn't really give it away, right? As if KFC's had a terrible thing happen to it, roasted on safety. Fast food retailer KFC has been fined $105,000, which for them would be what? Pocket money? Pocket money. Petty cash? Yeah. Petty cash. Over a 16-year-old employee's fall into a vat of hot cooking oil left behind by a peer who was responsible for training staff. And the industrial court found the chicken franchise had failed to provide the usual crap. Just there, the, the two paragraphs. That's it about a a, a seventeen, a sixteen-year-old kid. Doesn't say whether it was whether male or female. Probably a girl because most they mostly have young women, don't they, in those places? No, I do. But yeah. but anyway, sixteen-year-old kid falling into a vat of hot cooking oil. That got two paragraphs. Yeah. And a ninety-four-year-old bloke dying fifteen pages. So what happened to the guy who fell in the cooking vat? Did well, he die it doesn't or? say. We don't it doesn't know. say. We don't right. know. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. It's it's. Sad. Sounds quite serious, to be yeah. frank. I mean, falling into a hot vat of cooking oil is not mm. something you'd want to do. The young person would certainly have some permanent sort of... You'd, you'd think so, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, and there was nothing about that. It was as if poor old KFC was the victim of the headline, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Copped it, yeah. <laughs> on, on a similar vein, there's been a... And the program before us, I, don't, I didn't hear it this morning because I was writing here, I hear it on Saturday or... is it Yeah, Saturday morning when it's repeated. But... Um, but it has in the past talked about this long-running uh, industrial dispute at the Dandenong plant of Fletcher Insulation, uh, where they, the usual thing is happening these days where they offer workers uh, you know, low, worse pay and conditions and you take it or leave it. Mm. Um, and it's similar to what happened at CUB. Uh, and the workers have been on strike since February. But um, white-collar staff from around Australia have been flown in to operate an, insurance, an, an insulation plant. So they've, they've brought in staff from all over Australia, mostly from the sales and administration division, to operate the whole thing. And the union bloke, uh, AWU Secretary Ben Davis, said the move was an insult to the plant's 90 workers who have been on strike for almost 80 days over pay and conditions. Flying managers from all over the country to do the work of our members is not going to resolve the dispute, apart from the fact they are not qualified to do the job. They don't know how. And the bloke from um, Fletcher Insulations, uh, Justin Hollis, said the Dandenong plant had been operating since early April to fulfil customer orders. We took these steps after months of protracted negotiations, in which we didn't budge an inch, by the way, um, but that's beside the point. Our sales and administration staff are giving their time to operate the plant because they know that it is not companies or unions that make paydays possible, but customers who do. What a what a wonderful thought. Oh, it's beautiful. It is a wonderful thought, isn't it? And uh, he said that offered the union a number of concessions, like um, you know, even lower pay, presumably, or who knows. But anyway, that's going on. But they've brought in all these scabs. Which, speaking of which, I hope no one's bought a financial review or an age for the last six days because they're being produced with scab journos as well. Cancelled my subscription. Uh, it was a wonderful um, and a mistake. Uh, also, in the Herald, was the heading was a common a common E C O M O M Y rather than economy. Oh, right. So that yes. gets to show that when you get rid of your good subs, sub-editors and your journalists, oh, yes, what I happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, main headline. Yeah, it was there. a big headline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good on yeah, well, uh, I've been looking at them in the paper, when I go over to get the paper, the, the looking at the Fin Review and the Age just to see which journos are scabbing. But, uh, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> apart from, and they're the usual suspect journos, particularly the Fin Review ones, the ones who write the columns about uh, um, uh, you know, praising neoliberal capitalism, etc. Yes, they're they're the right. ones all still working, so yes. it's good to see, isn't it? Yeah, so that's that. But of course, we did have the uh, budget last night, and uh, apparently, uh, yeah. And uh, I know you were glued to the uh, glued the to telly, it. glued to the glued. Telly. Couldn't, couldn't pull me away. Usual selfish way just to see what was in it for you, and I'm sure Lynn was glued to it as well. And Andy oh. would have been absolutely wrapped. Yeah. But, but uh, it's, uh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's drug and alcohol testing for people on the dole now. Yeah, that's and, a good idea. Um, I think Adam Bant said that's good as long as they do drug and alcohol testing for parliamentarians as well. Yeah, yeah. It's only right. fair. The most interesting one was about, I was gonna, it's actually a Labour budget, but I'm not sure if that's absolutely correct. So no, no. Even the Labour, some of the Labourites are saying, well, not really. No, no well, Labour would never have <laughs> no, charged. they never ne- say, never yeah, admit to that anyway. You'd never, Labour would never, never put an imp- impost on the yeah. banks, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> 
That's right. It didn't hand them money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's why it wasn't a Labour budget. Labour yeah. would never, never dare to to challenge the banks. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but certainly you you do get absorbed by the um, by the commentary. Like this morning on Radio National is about all there was. Uh, mm. But uh, they had um, they had Bowen on, who of course is very very right wing anyway. Mm. So uh, he's, he's going to be the socialist alternative. But <laughs> yeah, you, you get some moments where you think I can't wait for that because during I am um, interviewed Morrison and you know, the usual crap. He just gave the usual yeah. cat answers. You you know you could you could write these interviews yourself and the answers. Yeah. Um, but then toward the end uh, at the end of Morrison. She said almost breathlessly, and after after uh, seven thirty, Fran will have uh, the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull on. And I thought, well, that's going to be a different interview, isn't it? I mean, you know, Morrison and Turnbull mm. are going to be saying absolutely opposite things about the budget. Well, yes, yes, yes. 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 Yeah, definitely don't read from the same hymn sheet at all. No, no, no. no. In fact, did you see the one the other night? The set two nights ago on telly, they were sitting in cabinet room or whatever with stupid barnacle sitting opposite and uh, some other minister, and um, and uh, set up for. The, I don't know why the telly even bothered to show it. Malcolm says, and what good things will be in the budget? It was sort of like an interview, but they were just setting each other up to, to say the usual crap. And then Morrison saying, well, we, we are, we're going to show how we care about the Australian people and know how they're suffering. And Malcolm's nodding, saying, oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. This is why you can't pull me away from the screen, you see. This that's is right, the kind of thing right. that entices me to watch it. It's just yeah. this, this excitement. It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, well, it is. It is exciting, it is. and and of course, you know, if if part of the the whole budget process is to uh, to cut waste in government and cut cut you know and, and cut mm. back on spending and not waste money, um, last week Malcolm Turnbull flew halfway around the world to New York to meet Donald Trump. He did. He got on left, ship. left twiddling his thumbs because Donald didn't turn up because he was too busy smashing healthcare in America. Yes. And so he waited and waited and waited. And as soon as it was all over, he got in the plane and flew back again. And he came back to look overlook a budget to stop waste. Yes, that's right. Yes, um, exactly. I might have yeah. thought flying half around the world for a half-hour meeting was not exactly not waste. I wouldn't, be the one, I wouldn't want to be the one working out Malcolm's carbon footprint for the year. For the day. For the day, even. Yeah. 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 I know. So. Yes, yes. There's a lot of... Uh, waste is relative. It's like good debt and bad debt, you see. There's there's good nice waste and there's bad waste. Yeah, there's well, nice, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so That's the good waste... That's bad debt and get good debt. Yeah, yeah so the good waste is the waste that the Liberals do. It's just do. debt. Mm. Right, mm. Yes. And the bad waste is the waste that people on the dole and other people do. Yeah, mm. and of course, the only the good news is we're going to have a surplus in four years. In fact, three years this time. Is that right? Yeah, the last many, the last several budgets, the previous Labor ones and all the Liberal ones, have said... We're actually increasing the de- we're increasing the deficit this year, mm. um, which I don't mind particularly. No, no, I mean, I, I, about, I, but nonetheless, I they, they, they think that's a terrible thing. We're increasing it this year, but we're budgeted so that there will be a surplus in four years' time. So, in the the twenty thirteen surplus in four years' time should have been this year. But the yes. deficit increased this year, but we are going to have a deficit in three years. Our budget <laughs> surplus in three years' time. So isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. It was about yeah. 7.4, wasn't it? 7.4 oh, million or something. Yeah, like that's right. Yeah. So whatever, whatever. Yeah. They, um, I yeah. But it, no need to worry about it. It won't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. I wouldn't I get, I wouldn't right get to it. I, I, yeah. No. I wouldn't get too overexcited about that. <laughs> I have to admit I'm not getting too excited about the thoughts of a surplus. I have to admit. No, it's not. no. Well... I mean, uh, some silly people on the left, and we wouldn't do that, of course, but suggest that that the, a surplus is nothing but taxes you raise for services that weren't spent on those services. Yeah. Mm. Plus, of course, the bad debt one is is a real difficult one because the good debt is is giving money to the big construction companies to build things, and so it's not really a debt, so you don't even count it. No. But bad debt is welfare, education, That's housing, right. transport. Yeah. But they're, they're the things for which you raise taxes. So how are they a debt? Because, in fact, you raise the money from yes. taxpayers to every year provide those services. Yes. So I can't see how good or bad that it's a debt at all. 
Yes. It should not be a debt. It shouldn't be a debt. It's simply part of your ongoing revenue coming in to pay for those services. That's right. That's right. And and if there is a debt due to that, then they're not taxing enough. They're not taxing enough. That's right. So we need to tax more, and then we don't have bad debt. Yeah. (laughs) Dwight God, you're you're sorting this out a bit. I am. I am. I'm getting a bit confident now. I'm getting a bit cocky. I reckon I might run for politics. I reckon I might. I've had a coffee this morning, you know, so I can do anything. (laughs) Well, go for it. <laughs> My God, yeah. you've yeah, you got this. Okay, look, we'll we'll get back to some common sense shortly. We'll take a break, come back and talk to <laughs> Helen Vandenberg about um, some serious issues. Okay, and uh, Helen Vandenberg's on the line. Helen, of course, a long-term activist and, and regular on this program, a regular, a regular or whatever we call her. Um, and for many years he's been talking about issues like the toxic waste up at Tullamarine and Essendon Airport and numerous things. And originally, of course, it was um, Steel Creek, wasn't it, uh, Helen? You, that was one of the victories we had, actually, Steel Creek. Um, yep. But um, today you want to talk about something that's connected to all those things, really, the Environment Protection Authority. What, what's going on there? Well, there was a most wonderful review of the EPA Act. As you know, prior to that, there'd been a review on caused by the Auditor-General's pretty scathing comments and the Ombudsman's equally scathing comments about the poor performance of the EPA, and that led to 220 recommendations on how the EPA could lift its act game. However, this was about looking at how well does the current act serve Victorians, how well does it protect our environment, how well does it is it capable of uh, dealing with... Um, the change in society and uh, one of the big issues, of course, was that's not in the old Act that needs to be in the current new Act is climate change. So it was a wonderful review. It consulted extensively with the community and I thought it was a very accurate and um, rigorous report making some very sensible mm. recommendations. Well, who conducted this forward. report, by the way, Helen? Well, uh, the government conducted it because but, oh, I can't remember. They must the have had a committee of some sort. They're all they pan- did, a panel, whatever. Yeah. Look, I've forgotten their names. I'm whatever, very sorry, but they uh, they were impressive people. Good, good. And uh, they knew how to listen, and they knew how to sum up and be fair and forward looking. So I had great confidence when I read the. Um, their report at the end, I felt they covered all the bases. But it's the clear things, and of course, Environmental Justice Australia, the legal team that um, is based in Victoria and is the, speaks out for the environment, um, also played a leading role in um, encouraging the community to understand what the context was, what the um, <clears throat> how to have a voice in it, and encourage community participation as well, as well as doing a magnificent um, submission of their own. And, of course, um, the key things for me were, um, which was pretty, which was in line with EJA's general direction, was that we want an act that is based on prevent, you know, everybody has a duty of care not to pollute rather than, oh, if someone's polluted, let's try and find out who it is and then we'll prosecute them. Oh, we can't find it, so we can't prosecute. Therefore, we've got no money to clean it up, so just let it be. So, and and this is, of course, the premise upon which WorkSafe has, has been in operation for years. So, you know, if there's an accident, well, how come? Because you had a duty to protect your workers. So it, it's not a new concept. But the other thing was that... Some of us argued that environmental justice be written into it as a key part. And that's not there yet. The government's kind of saying, let it be a perspective across uh, all departments. And while they've given an undertaking to do it, when I talk to EPA officers, I find very few of them have any idea what it means or what it would look like. For instance, if you believe in environmental justice, you don't increase the burden on people already carrying a pollution burden, you reduce it. And if that's the case, then why would you keep the three landfills in the north and west of Melbourne, which is where the greater burden of pollution has historically been? So there's proof enough that when the team want to tell you that, oh, no, this this is what we need to do, uh, you know that the organisation hasn't come to grips with it. However, the other good thing about the recommendations was that the there had to be a greater emphasis on human health um, that's both good and 
Uh, and of course, that's a direct consequence of the tragedy of the Morwell fire, the deaths incurred. And then it also has revealed the long-term health impacts suffered by that community. And the um, the other thing was it needs to deal with uh, legacy issues. Now, so far the government now they came out with seventeen recommendations, and one of them was to have they provided a new funding model. The government didn't take that up, and that makes me a bit sceptical as to what is their intent. Because if you don't make the whole thing about the EPA's incompetence and and um, it comes back to a lot of un- under-resourcing by successive governments, right? So, on the one hand, you can there can be some people with scientific credibility in the EPA, but not enough of them. And the other thing that came out was that mines don't come under the EPA Act at all, and planners have don't listen to EPA and don't need to. So, in this new Act, all agencies have to comply with the Environmental Protection Act. And that will that's going to be interesting to see how Vic Roads will do that because Vic Roads is the single largest polluter with this road wash coming through the stormwater into our creeks. They are the single biggest polluter of the western suburbs waterways, which have got diminishing macroinvertebrate populations and very few species of, of uh, macroinvertebrates. So if you need... If your um, damselflies and dragonflies need two years of clean, well-oxygenated water and you're getting so much um, water off those roads and, of course, because of urbanisation, you've got less water rain going into the soil. You've got stronger um, flows in your creek scouring up the bottom. You've got muddy creeks for two to three weeks in the winter. Well, you're going to lose your macroinvertebrate population. Mm. That may not seem very important to people who live in McMansions, but the reality is the only way for kids to connect with nature is probably going to be through those little green open spaces along the local waterways where kids ought to be able to see yabbies and galaxis fish and they ought to be able to see dragonflies and they ought to be able to hear frogs. And with the impact of climate change on the west going to be worse than in the east because we're already drier and hotter, you know, it's really important that stormwater of roads be considered. So if all agencies have to... um, protect the environment, it's going to be quite a challenge and it's going to be hard to bed all this down. The other thing that they recommended was that um, there be at least a database set up on legacy issues. I think one of the things that's missing is that there's no designated um, legacy team set aside because, as you know, at Tullamarine, we're into year nine of the clean-up of that Mm. site. We're nowhere near finished. Um, and that site's going to be a legacy for at least 100 to 200 years, according to the audit of the chemicals are going to take about that long to wear out in the dump. In the meantime, they're going to be leaking out into the groundwater plume. And, and those things are going to, going to happen, occur increasingly as, um, as new places are developed. We've got the one at the moment at Faulkner where uh, there's a new farm site I think most people are becoming yep. aware of where, again, it's highly polluted, but there's a... Pro, you know, a a, um, an application for a developer to, or to go ahead on something there and it's causing confusion in the community but um, and that's going to happen more and more as these places open up we've got well the government's already talking about the um, the defence site at Meribyrnong oh, which we know is he- heavily polluted but they're talking about putting a housing estate in there well Friends of Steel Creek supposed that all along because if you talk to any of the chemists uh, industrial chemists around that we spoke to said, look, that site is so polluted, it'd be best left alone. Um, because once they disturb it, one, they don't know exactly where is what chemical and the method of testing, um, <laughs> you know, isn't rigorous. So um, at least the site has settled now, but disturbing it means you're going to have contaminated dust blowing around. And um, I think they'll also find there will be, uh, seeing its location on the river plain, on the river flat there, I think you'll find there'll be a lot of cultural heritage implements and tools will come up there. So 
um, mm. I'm not favourite that at well, all. What stage? The EPA, yeah, what stage is it at, Helen? Is it is it actually it, is they mooted all these changes now, or they it, has, it hasn't gone through as legislation yet, has it, or has it? I don't think so. No. But I mean, in the current budget, they're saying that they're going to release that land, and first of all, the Commonwealth's going to have to foot the bill for the the so-called clean-up. And if anybody believes the clean-up's going to be effective enough, and they can live there well. Um, good luck to them. Mm. I, I wouldn't be doing it. But anyhow, I mean, if you want to sink um, a basketball pole in your in your little backyard, um, and you're going to go down more than a metre, you don't know what you're going to encounter. So they're going to have to put limitations yeah. on what people can yeah. do or not. It seems that besides that, that, we're so short of open space that um, you could just replant it into habitat. And you could possibly put par- a lot of walking paths in there and maybe you could use it as an open space park. I know mm. over at Ardea they put a lot of concrete over the old battery site and the other part they left the garden. But, I mean, I don't think even, they're not going to consider that. Mm. But getting back to the EPA yep. review, um, it will be really good that climate changes are going to be considered. The other thing that has happened is that um, an environmental officer will be health officer will be in every, in every local government and the person's got to be trained by the EPA and report to EPA. So that's going to help local councils understand issues because they really struggle with... Um, <clears throat> the minute you say toxic, they just want to hide their head in the sand. When you say there's a health issue there, I mean, a lot of local councils don't understand uh, the clean air issues, nor do they understand the... Um, impact of fine particulates on health and, you know, the fact that they're all going to have to start thinking of these things is good. It's going to take a while to bed down. But the other important thing is that at the moment Environmental Justice Australia, which you can find on the web as environmentaljusticeaustralia.org, is running a survey because one of the omissions in the report was... um, the poor performance of EPA in community consultation. Now, um, we want the community to have the right to bring an action against a polluter because we've all had the experience of the EPA failing to do that. Now, we want that right built in and we want better consultation because at the moment we kind of feel EPA has got better at inviting us to forums. But the fact... The reason I say they're not effective in consultation, though they're trying to be, is they had a consultation over the EPA reform last on last Tuesday, 2nd of May, out at Sunshine, between 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Now, what worker could get home by 4 o'clock and then you had to come in and say what you thought the EPA new act would look like, right? And... You know, there were more EPA officers than community there, and yet the, the EPA just does not take the lesson. I don't know how many times I've said to the EPA and other people have said, you can't consult us between 4 and 7. It's hard enough for us to get there at 7.30, right? But they still run their forums between 4 and 7. They're so, keeping business hours, obviously, Helen, but uh, well, pretty well, much business hours. Yeah, I mean, that's not genuine. And, you know, when you talk to the officers, they're nice people, they're educated, um, they say they want to listen, and you try and find out what they understand about environmental justice, and it's very superficial. But the reality is, the new Act, and and that's why I'm disappointed that that's not embedded as a principle in the Act yet, but at least there's further consultation going on. But they're going to pass an Act this year in the state government to say this is what the structure of the EPA will look like and they'll do that because this is how it happened in New South Wales, no problems with it. And then next year they'll have the new Act written. And they're not even going to release the draft form of that Act so that the community who's had the experience of living with pollution and in the inadequacies of the EPA Act and the EPA itself are not going to have further input into it. So if they write pretty silly legislation, they're not going to get it all right in one go. And the fact that they won't even release it for us to have a bit of a look at 
is also that kind of defence mentality of the EPA, you know, oh, yeah, we want to talk to you, but we don't really want to listen to you. What, what are the, is the government saying that or the EPA saying they won't release the uh, draft the legislation? So have they given any reason for not releasing? Oh, they're in a hurry. They've got to get it better down before the election. <laughs> the EPA's been a problem for decades. I'm not sure... Well, 40 years, to be honest. Yeah, that's right. So you're not sure why the rush is suddenly on. Well, they want to get it better down before the next election because it, invo- it was a promise at the previous election that they would reform the EPA Act. Um, but the point is, if they're going to do it, they better do it properly and they better give us a look at it. And furthermore, Environmental Justice Australia is running a survey for people to say what your experience has been with the EPA because, you know, uh, they've got to learn to listen. And it's not about just inviting us to a forum and giving us butcher's papers and saying, here's a text to go write your ideas down. We've been trying to tell them for years there needs to be prevention has got to be at the core of it environmental justice has got to be part of the act and that means you've got to start looking at for instance if we're going to deal with climate change we've got to have legislation that prohibits and controls co2 emissions which means you're going to have to have ways of helping alternative energies in you've also and of course waste is the huge issue in our society and oh yeah Yes, strategic policy people in the EPA think these three hubs out, one north and two in the west, are fantastic ideas because, you know, you can keep landfilling there and you can keep start doing this reduce, reuse, recycle. There's no mention from anybody in EPA about waste to energy. Look, the hierarchy of waste has been, since 2001, landfill is a last resort. I mean, consumption is a huge issue. So... You know, you've got a huge issue there that needs serious attention. But you can decentralise waste by having waste to energy in different parts to scale for the population you've got to match the amount of waste you've got to get rid of, right? And if you have proper scrubbers and um, in the towers, you will get minimal, minimal, very small um, emissions from it. Right. Are you suggesting we don't dump all our waste in the working-class suburbs of the western... Most I am Melbourne? absolutely saying that for two Good reasons. Heavens, Helen. One, the people out there have a really unfair burden from the stench of those places. There have been composting sites that have been created that were out in the open where you're going to get all the fumes from them. Secondly, those people already have heavy transport fumes in their local air and their waterways are not the same quality as the waterways on the eastern sides of the suburbs, on the eastern side of Melbourne. Mm. It is about time that people in the West had the same right to a clean environment as the rest of Melbourne Mm. does. Now, that's not really revolutionary. That's just fair play. And, um, you know, we're sick of saying it. But the and we're not going to stop saying it because it's right. Has so, the EPA has the EPA made any mention of the impacts of of um, urban sprawl in terms of the oh environmental yeah that was impact? that that is a very big consideration within it because um, with, with your urban sprawl you and also with the fact that you're paving over most of the land you are completely changing the water cycle here yes. because. You've now got massive flows quickly into creeks that can't handle it. Um, it's degrading the creeks, as I said earlier, and that is an issue. And the other thing that we asked for was that the EPA have it some right, you know, that they that the planners have to go and talk to EPA because, you know, planners are quite happy. If you go to VCAT on a on an issue and it's got anything to do with the environment, you'll find VCAT's got no qualifications to address environmental issues and they don't want to. We were pointing out, for instance, that a seven-storey building in Keeler Road will be 20 centimetres below the controlled airspace because it's in directly under, under the flight path in and out of Essendon Airport. VCAT just said, oh, it's zoned residential, we'll just make sure there's noise insulation in the place. If you're standing in the top floor of that place looking out your window, you can see a plane coming at you. That's what it'll be like. VCAT's got no comprehension of these issues. And besides that, they don't understand buffer issues because while a hazardous site is in existence and operating, it has to have a buffer. And the encroachment on buffer lands while out at 
um, in Dandenong has been terrible. But in, in Tullamarine, we've twice had to fight off um, Cleanaway, who wanted to develop the land. Council took the position that you don't put factories and warehouses cheek by jowl with um, housing developments, and so that's bad planning, and they didn't do it, but it was a risky place to be in. And the EPA should have been able to say, with... Um, you know, the EPA should be able to say the buffer has to be there with nothing on it. So are the EPA mm-hmm. not invited into VCAT um, when there's a no. case on? Uh, well, you have to understand the timidity of the EPA about its, and its reluctance to go and defend their... Um, they seem to have had a battering somewhere along the line and they seem to be a bit frightened to go and defend themselves. Right. Um, you know, I know that at the moment EPA, I was asked, saying saying to Chris Webb, I'm sick of hearing people, EPA decisions say, well, we wouldn't be able to defend that in court. People who I don't mean, know, you better say, tell us who Chris Webb is. Oh, he's the direct. He's one of the directors in um, EPA yep. in charge of regulation, and I have some confidence in Chris. Um, so, um, you know, he's he has come out of work cover, as did John Merritt, so he understands that, you know, you don't... Go. You have to have a regulation that says you've got a duty to prevent harm from happening. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now that now, sorry, in other I... states, they already do this, and and they also give their community the right to bring an action if the pollu- if the EPA hasn't brought the polluter to court. You can, but around here in Melbourne, some of the bureaucrats are just scared stiff of it, and it's just plain fear. They've got no basis for their their assertion that oh, it'll lead to. Um, extra litigation, uh, and it hasn't done that in other jurisdictions, so why should it do it here? Mm. Helen, um, having I was going to raise this later, but Mark, having raised it, uh, the urban sprawl issue, uh, you talked earlier about the impact on um, macro invertebrates and frogs, etc. Now, one of our concerns has always been that spread of of uh, developers into the northwest of Melbourne, and we're seeing the last remnants of grasslands and yeah. growling grass frogs, etc. Is there anything in this that can control that sort of stuff and preserve those that flora and fauna? Well, that comes back to the weakness of the Flora Fauna Guarantee Act, which is also being reviewed at the moment, in which we we Friends of Steel Creek put in submissions, and EJA has done some work in informing the community about what the act what the act entailed and. Um, what were the emissions in it and what you could do and how to write a submission. And one of the things that, um, that that's clearly been brought up repeatedly is that there has, even with um, a Commonwealth and state legislation saying that you can protect vulnerable species, it, in reality we haven't been able to do it because uh, down at... We've just, we just keep losing our grasslands and our frogs all mm. the time. So that act is another act that's being reformed at the moment. And um, they seem to be wanting to take the word guarantee out of the act. And I'm not happy about that because even though it's been pretty useless, the thing is that you ought to guarantee that you will maintain the species that are still left considering the massive wipeouts that we've had here. And... Under the Flora Fauna Guarantee Act, um, the government seems to be wanting to say, oh, well, we'll we'll have action plans for habitats, but we're saying you also have to have action plans for individual species sometimes because if in order to save some species, you might have to recreate their habitat or broaden, make the area bigger, or you might have to create links in habitat for that species to survive. You can't have it just surviving in one little enclosed space. That's not going to work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so, set, um, setting aside the issue of population growth, um, <laughs> I think one of the, the big issues is that a lot of the development on the fringe is still low density and we should be looking at building predominantly medium density developments well so you Mark, fit, yeah go on the community is um i've understood that for a long time yes. right because my first action on climate change was back in 1989 so friends of steel creek has never opposed improving the density of housing in Mooney Valley, which is predominantly where our creek is. Yes. We don't get any thanks for that. No, no, I bet you don't. No. And um, we just say you have to have a, a sensitive interface with the the existing parkland because it's pretty narrow. Absolutely, yeah. And VCAT actually helped on that. They actually said, yeah, they told one big developer you have to stick, you know, keep to 10 metres. And the last battle we had, they maintained that view that we needed 10 metres as an interface. 
But anyhow, it's pretty small, but nevertheless, it's significant for us rather than having them right up to the edge. That's where the planning, the connection between the planners and the EPA and the health department really has to develop and that's what, another reason why it's important. Because, I mean, you can't sprawl forever. It's ridiculous. You can't sprawl forever. But no. unless you've got open space um, where people are going to find it pleasant to walk and exercise, it's also going to be difficult. And see, one of the things that I think could could help would be if they would underground the electricity wires so that you could get tall trees in our streets, you could make every suburb of Melbourne a pleasant place to walk. Mm. And you could mix it up so that the only exotic tree that's got a licence to live in in Australia, as far as I'm concerned, is one that's in front of a north northern window because mm. it'll shade it in the summer and it will um, let the sunlight in in the winter so you can have passive solar heating. There's a whole lot of things that could be done in the Planning Act and in the Environment Act, I think, to, to make sure that we build sustainably. Mm. I mean, there's still a lot of waste going to landfills. Um, we're not making massive use of our of the materials. I'm constantly seeing brick houses knocked down in my suburb and two, three, or four, or occasionally six units going up on the block. But I'm thinking, where the hell can these people go and exercise and experience nature, which is also uh, creates good mental health. Exactly. And it's it's crucial. Yeah. It's absolutely crucial. Well, uh, the then the councils are going to have to buy up land to extend their parks and open spaces. Or the alternative is turn the actual streets into beautiful places to be that not only give shade and shelter to humans, but also, you know, can support birds. And if we start running the water off our driveways into our nature strips, so that you can keep those alive, because with the drying climate, the nature streets, the nature trees, nature strip trees in Melbourne, especially on the west, are likely to die. Yes. So unless yeah. we find, and it's simple, it, you direct the water off the driveway into the to uh, the nature strip. You can be putting leaky tanks into parks to help keep your um, trees alive there. But the impact of climate change is going to be massive. Huge. And, and, you know, I know we talk a lot about human health, but the thing is, if we actually said, make sure our environment's clean enough to support frog life, then the humans would automatically be protected Mm -hmm. because they're even more vulnerable Mm. to pollution than we are. Yeah, I mean, it's related to this. I was out on the uh, Geelong-Torquay Road on Monday, and every time I go down that part of the world a fair bit, and uh, on my, every time you go, there's more and more development. It's almost now Geelong to Torquay is suburbia, mm. and it, and every vacant paddock's almost every vacant paddock's got a development sign and some euphemistic estate name on it, and it's reached the point now where if people know it at all. The the roundabout at Mount Dunedin coming into Torquay, uh, that corner now they're they're putting in a service station of all bloody things uh, because of the development going on. I mean, it's just taking over everywhere. Well, if you want to have decentralisation, the whole point of decentralisation was to have populations with green belts between the populations. Now, yes. we haven't done that. We, no, we've, yeah. we've got rid of the green belt. We missed out on a big opportunity there. Oh, well, well, that's the story of it. But the point is you could recreate it yeah. if you were game enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's going to happen. But, but the other thing is if you've got a huge, large city, then make it livable by at least using the nature strips to to um, cool, you know, to deal with the heat of the cities. Look at ways you can grab the water. And, I mean, the issue of stormwater is going to take years to solve, but we cannot continue to just let it hurtle into our creeks with all its pollutants and then just go out to the bay. It reminds me of years ago when I rang up and said the oil was in my creek. And I knew it came from the airport, but the EPA were never going to investigate that. Mm. Um, and... Uh, they just said, oh, it'll go down to the bay and the bay washes out every 14 months. And I thought, how does that save the environment? It just relocates it. So um, we just have massive issues to deal with. Mm. And and I think getting a new EPA Act is a good start. And I think keeping our eyes on it and being part of the process is good. But I, I really want that Act to say... Um, we have the community has a right to 
you know, bring a halt to, to take polluters to court. I want an yeah. act that deals with climate change and I want that act to deal with the, uh, you know, the huge issues, of legacy issues, because those people in Faulkner, um, I was speaking to Sue Bolton last night about it and it's not even clear to me if the EPA has even done a recent 53X audit on that site. Well, what they've done, I mean, just just reading in the local rag, Helen, um, the EPA said it's checked the uh, the cap, which is the clay cap that went in in the 90s, and it says that the, it's, a, it's approved the cap and says it's still working okay and all's well. Well, for uh, how long is that cap going to last? Well, it was pointed out also in the story that... Uh, that a developer might want to would break up the cap anyway to do the development, and they said yes, but then you can patch it up again and fix it up. So the EPA has in fact <laughs> the e- well the EPA has actually had a look at it and said it's all okay. And this is this is for people who don't know this is a site former new farm site in Faulkner where a developers put an application in and the local community is up in arms because also there were. Back in the 90s, even, there were high incidents of uh, cancer around the area yeah. when, the, when the company worked. And the company, I believe, is a, is a subsidiary of Monsanto. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yes, but um, EPA Victoria Metro Manager Dan Hunt said inspectors at the former home of the New Farm Pesticide Factory where herbicides were reduced, etc., found the clay clap was sound. EPA is satisfied with the current condition of the cap- capping, which, during its inspection of the site, appeared intact with no evidence of holes within the cap or Tress or trees or brushes protruding, and they collected soil from samples downstream in the Merry Creek, and they're currently being analysed. But there we are. It's just proof of why we need a different act, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's and there's just on that. I was going to promote it at the end of the show, but um, there's a public meeting at um, the Faulkner Senior Citizen Centre, 77 Dukes Road, on Thursday at 7 p.m. And I urge people around the area to turn up to that. The Faulkner well, I think Senior anybody Citizens. who's stuck with the legacy issue can go and give them support as well. I believe yeah. Harry Van Moss is going to be. He um, is. Yes, there's a number of speakers that. there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, you know, why is this is what's so disappointing about the current situation. It's up to the community to create the political heat to get issues addressed, right? And it's supposed to be the role of the EPA to protect the community. And all the time we see the EPA acting within its current... And the other thing about it is what I find is... An unforgivable weakness in the EPA is there's a precautionary principle in there, in the Act, that says where you can't prove that it's uh, not going to do any harm, then, you know, the, mm. if there's no convincing evidence, then you err on the side of caution so you don't let it go ahead. Where's the proof that says it's okay to develop it? And besides that, they want to put an industrial development there, don't they? Yeah. And isn't this right near residential development? Absolutely, yep. Well, yep. it's bad planning. Mm. So how yeah. can any planner, how can the local council ever, ever agree to to doing it. Well, that brings us, Helen, to another point, I mean, a related point, but we've we've also argued for years that the, the Act should be changed so that the onus is on a developer to prove something is, is not dangerous rather than the reverse, that currently, really, the community has to prove something is dangerous. Well, that's um, what's good and, about the new Act. And now, I'm going to say, does the new Act cover that problem? Yeah, the new Act says everybody's got a... Well, what we want the new Act to say and what the EPA review said, the EPA Act review said, that should be the basic principle. Everybody's got an onus to to prevent harm. So if you're looking... And the other thing that they've said is you've got to get a database for all these sites. Well, that's fine. That's going to take years to do and they've given them some money to do it. But that's not enough. When a community gets an issue like this, the community ought to be, able, ought to be resourced to, at the developer's expense... So we can go and either speak to people in universities or get a scientist who can come and help us understand the science and communicate with us at times on what our issues are and see that our issues are dealt with in a timely manner. Now, that's a common occurrence in the um, US where if you've got a hazardous site, the community gets funded to and gets generous funding to get their own mm. scientists to help yeah. them out. Yeah. Now, we don't have anything like that. So it's up to the community to do the research. Now, without Harry Van Morse having done 20-odd years of research on waste, etc., and landfills, we'd be up the creek. And Harry's got a connection 
connection into some universities, etc. You'd be up a very polluted creek, you mean. Yeah, well, (laughs) there's no such thing as a clean creek around here. No, sorry. (laughs) Anyhow, so this is the point. It, It is up to the community. But again, in a participatory democracy... You, you do have a role as a citizen to participate and to put your point forward. But there also ought to be an obligation on those that we consult, who are asking us to consult, to heed the advice and the concerns we have and to address them. Mm. Well, and what, there is no obligation on them at the moment. We've had so many phony consultations that we are sick to death of phony consultations. We had 200 people at a 20B conference over a, a small extension down at um, Werribee two years ago, and those people were angry and they were pretty clear they were sick of the stench, right? And guess what? EPA went ahead with it. They endorsed it. Mm. This time there was a 20B conference, and guess how many people turned up this time? About 15. Why did they only get 15? Because nobody believed the EPA were going to listen. Yeah. And now, on... the EPA turns around and says, oh, there's no interest, but that's not it. They already mowed us down, on and that... they may as well put it in those aggressive terms because that's what they're doing. They call us out. We come out in numbers. We say what we want. What impact did we have? Zilch. Well, for years, how when they allowed extensions of the telemarine toxic waste dump, but in the two minutes left, um, can you update us on anything on that, or is it just just ongoing? Nothing's really happening. We're still waiting for our consultants' report on the El Napple, so we're in a we're we, we're in a lull at the moment. And when we get Stephen Ampter's report, then we'll have a better idea of. Um, What's going to happen next? Yeah, okay. So the, pretty much the same down at Essendon Airport. About to say um, that, but Essendon Airport, any updates since the crash? Oh, Chris, well, a month after the crash, when they couldn't, when they were saying that with the pieces of wreckage that they'd looked at, there was no obvious engine failure at the moment, obvious. Chris Cowan, the CEO of Essendon Airport, um, got up and said, well, the airport has been cleared of any wrongdoing. Now, the investigation hasn't finished yet. Mm. So um, I think that suggests they're a bit nervous. I mean, that plane had nowhere else to land. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, that's yeah, right. It that's could have, right. Well, exactly. And uh, now, when I say has anything happened, I meant in terms, I guess I mean more in terms of, of trying to get the whole thing out of the area altogether, which is your ultimate aim. Oh, no. Um, Mr Andrews? said immediately after the tragedy yeah. he did the right thing and gave his condolences and said there'd be investigations but by the afternoon he was somebody said to him well we'll disclose this in an airport and he said that's never going to happen right well that's encouraging news Helen yeah. and the local <laughs> member for Essendon was was even quicker off the mark I think uh, he was saying that in about three o'clock in the afternoon all right we're going to have to leave it there because time's up but look Helen thanks for your time today and uh, we'll keep in touch on this one because the EPA Act obviously is very very important well know. everybody go and look at environmentaljusticeaustralia.org on the web and take participate in the survey and have a look what they're saying about the the reform of the yeah. EPA thanks thanks Helen thanks for, Helen. That, Helen. Thanks for thank that you, for your time. Thank thank you. You. Let's, let's put we go Les from Moreland um, had a question into us and the answer is it's a damn good idea I think we'd have to think about how we'd do it, but uh, it was about um, safety records of companies, etc., and you know those who don't have workplace injuries. But um, how you'd keep a record of that? Well, I think, in fact, I think the WorkSafe does keep a record of that. Actually, mm, so maybe it's already there. Okay, that's it. Next week, um, housing. Say goodbye. Look forward to it. Goodbye, Bye. everybody.